Welcome back, everyone. We are now going to dive into the House of Hades. And specifically, <laughs> we're going to talk about magic. It's finally ah! time for witches. Yes. Yeah, it's time for witches. We're really excited. Um, we have a very special <laughs> guest to stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we freaking made it to the House of Hades. Let's let that sink in. If you heard that delightfully man-made sound effect, that was from our special guest for today, Owen from the Through the Mist podcast. Say hi, Owen. Hello. Tell us a little bit about your show and why we are really excited to have you here today for these chapters. Hi, I'm Owen. It's a podcast about the law and the theory of the royal universe and like how it all works and like making sense of what he tells us is true and going can it be true yes we love world building we all know we're, we're all nerds here for the world building and owen takes lots of care and time to dive into magical aspects of the universe that like we could never have the bandwidth to take care of those details so we're really excited to have owen here because these first four chapters of house of hades that we're going to talk about are from hazel's pov and you may remember as you are reading along with us these are the chapters where hazel meets hecate and gets introduced into this concept of manipulating the mist. So we're going to talk a lot about that today. Owen, you have appeared on some listener thoughts episodes. However, it's been a long time since we've had a new guest. So I'm going to subject you to a question from season one of our show. How did you pronounce the name of the centaur leader of the Camp Half-Blood when you were reading these books as a small United <laughs> Kingdom child? Chaiwon. Very good. Delightful. Standard. Standard. Just a chuff of the CH and the rest Absolutely the wonderful. So like many of our special episodes, we will be regurgitating for you some research facts <laughs> about the history of magic and Hecate as a goddess and a figure, while also discussing the lore of the Riordan verse. And let's keep in mind that these things are are different, but Riordan verse obviously pulls on the actual lore, but we're going to try and separate them and, and figure out what is historical and what is from Rick's noggin. Before we get to the actual words, <laughs> of this book we have to talk about the iconic the dedication. dedication does someone want to read it to my wonderful readers sorry about the last cliffhanger well no not really ha 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 but seriously i love you guys <laughs> this literally sent me into a tizzy when i was 14 years old I how was dare like, you i was so angry at rick and i remembered that i was so affected by this because i like posted about it on facebook and i got one of those like facebook memories like a few weeks ago that was like remember when you read house of Hades for the first time and took a, a boomerang of this or something but no this was a moment i felt angry but i also felt like a part of something you know I felt like I felt like I was in a community. I was like, look at all of us. We're all feeling angry <laughs> at Rick right now around the globe. Sassy, sassy Rick. If you were also 14 at this time, 
and you remember where you were when you read this dedication, shoot us a message. Tell us about it. Shall we? All right. As you remember, we left off with Percy and Annabeth falling to Tartarus, but also the other half of the team deciding that they were going to gather up together with Nico and make their way from Rome over to Greece to close up the doors of death on the other side. So we are currently making our way north from Rome, trying to follow the edge of the coastline, basically. I'm mm. pretty sure that's right. We should make a little map. I think it'd be good like and helpful. The hills are like halfway through Italy. Yeah. So they're like, they're trying to get to the... Yeah, they're crossing you know, like over those mountains. Side. Why they went north, why they went north out of Rome, I will never know. Because you're heading towards even more mountains if you go north. If you go south, the mountains start to drop. This is why we have somebody from Europe I was going to say, like, for me, the first time I was reading <laughs> these books, I was like, I have looked at a map of Europe, but like... But have I? Um, <laughs> I don't know. We are our school. I do not think we had to learn about this. Like half of the countries in Europe, I probably could not name. But not name I think I. that the book's argument is that they're like, oh, like we couldn't possibly go over the ocean without without Percy. Like that's... I know. If they went via the ocean, if they did go via the ocean, it would be a hell of a long trip because you're having to go around the boot mm. of Italy. Rome's kind of north. Rome's almost in Northern. the north, yeah. Yeah, good for us. We could have Googled a map in the last 45 seconds, but we chose not to. We chose to figure it out from our memory banks. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so Hazel is our narrator for this first section. We're starting with Hazel in a period of self-reflection. She's thinking about the calamities that um, befell them at the end of the last book. She's feeling like she has not been doing enough to advance the quest and that they have not been making enough progress because there is sort of a little bit of a time skip, it seems like, because we're not literally still in Rome. We've been like trying to days. advance. Yeah, and it's, I guess, not been going super well. They're not making enough progress to get there in time. You get you get the time stamp in Leo's chapters in a bit, mm -hmm. I think. There's a few nice sections here about Hazel thinking about her relationship with Nico. Now that Nico's back, yay, we've reunited the siblings. And even though, you know, they're from different time periods, she feels so much kinship to him because they're both such outsiders and they're both misplaced out of time and they can understand each other, which I loved hearing from her perspective. I thought it was a beautiful piece of like relationship building. But she, yeah, she's feeling super lost and unhelpful. And so she prays to Hades to help her find a way to get to his temple to the doors of death. And as she's praying, who shows up but our favorite potty-mouthed, gold-eating, fierce, handsome little horse named Arian, and <laughs> Hazel decides to hop on Arian and let Arian take her away to show her something. She rides into a scary black cloud of death, basically, and smoke and mystery, and when she arrives into that cloud, we meet our goddess, Hecate! <laughs> Yay! Dun, dun, dun. So that's the setup. <laughs> and from here, we're going to start talking about magic. This is a wormhole of a conversation. <laughs> it is so interesting. If you are like bored and like hanging out around this summer and you want to like research something, look into the term magic in Greek mythology and when it came about because modern day, you know, what do we think of to be magic? It's probably heavily influenced by Harry Potter. Sorry, but like, you know, like- It is true, it is true. Cats, Wizards whatever. Witches. Transformation. Merlin. Yeah. Merlin, that's a good one. Modern definition of magic is influencing a course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. That's from like the Oxford English Dictionary. But in Greek times, magic, really, that word could entail anything from like 
drugs, prayers, cursed tablets and amulets that people wore. You can look up pictures of those amulets that archaeologists have uncovered. They're very cool. Love potions, etc. Magic in this way was practiced by both men and women. The Greek word for magic as we understand it would have been magia or goetea, but those two words didn't always exist in the Greek language at the time of stories like Homer's Odyssey. And I'm going to paraphrase a TikTok from Professor Maxwell T. Paul, who teaches classics at Earlham University, where he talks about Circe by Madeline Miller and the opening lines of that book in relationship to the words magia, goetea, and magic. Professor Paul also wrote an article called The Whitening Thief about white supremacy and Percy Jackson, which we retweeted recently, and we'll link that in our show description if you want to check it out, as well as the original TikTok. So the opening line of Cersei by Madeline Miller, if you remember or if you haven't read it yet, is When I was born, the name for what I was did not exist. And that is literally because we consider Cersei to be a witch, like a practicer of magic. But back when the first stories of Cersei were being told, Magea and Goetea didn't exist in Greek language. When Cersei was written about in the Odyssey, she was referred to as either a goddess or pharmakos, which is sort of like somebody who deals with drugs, like a doctor. It's a word that was also referred, like used to talk about medics. (laughs) Yeah, pharmacists. (laughs) Wow, language, guys. But yeah, all that to say that there was no word for like witch at that time. So love Madeline Miller and her historian brain for knowing that. The earliest mentions of the word maigea that we associate with magic now didn't come until towards the end of the 5th century BC. But yeah, this is a little quote from an article called The Birth of the Term Magic by Janan Bremer, who is a Dutch historian, that says, Towards the end of the 5th century, we find the two arts of Goetea and Magea in Gorgias's Apology for Helen. Although the passage is not crystal clear, it is the first certain mention of Magea in our texts. And classics majors can correct me on this, but for context, Gorgias was a pre-Socratic philosopher, and the Apology for Helen was a text where he asserted that Helen of Troy should not be blamed for the Trojan War. Great. And from there, we started to learn more about magic using this word. So, let's talk about Hecate. The pale figure of a woman appeared at the northern gate. No, wait, she stood at the eastern entrance. No, western. Three smoky images of the same woman moved in unison toward the center of the ruins. Her form was blurred, made from mist, and she was trailed by two smaller wisps of smoke, darting at her heels like animals. Some sort of pets? She reached the center of the courtyard, and her three forms merged into one. She solidified into a young woman in a dark, sleeveless gown. Her golden hair was gathered into a high-set ponytail, ancient Greek style. Her dress was so silky it seemed to ripple, as if the cloth were ink spilling off her shoulders. She looked no more than twenty, but Hazel knew that meant nothing. Hazel Levesque, the women said. She was beautiful, but deathly pale. Once back in New Orleans, Hazel had been forced to attend the wake for a dead classmate. She remembered the lifeless body of the young girl in the open casket. Her face had been made up prettily, as if she were resting, which Hazel found terrifying. This one reminded Hazel of that girl, except the woman's eyes were open and completely black. When she tilted her head, she seemed to break into three different people again, misty afterimages blurring together like a photograph of someone moving too fast to capture. Who are you? Hazel's fingers twitched at the hilt of her sword. I mean, which goddess? Hazel was sure of that much. This woman radiated power. Everything around them, the swirling mist, the monochromatic storm, the eerie glow of the ruins, was because of her presence. Ah, the woman nodded. Let me give you some light. She raised her hands. Suddenly, she was holding two old-fashioned reed torches, guttering with fire. The mist receded to the edges of the courtyard. At the woman's sandaled feet, two wispy animals took on solid form. One was a black Labrador retriever. The other was a long, gray, furry rodent with a white mask around its face. A weasel, maybe? The woman smiled serenely. 
I am Hecate, she said, goddess of magic. We have much to discuss if you were to live through tonight. <laughs> that is so good. Can we appreciate, like, <laughs> there have been some fire character entrances in this section of Heroes of Olympus lately. I creepy as well. Important, um, I don't know if context is the right word. If you are not literally reading along with this, you might not know or remember that the second chapter of this book is three pages long. The third chapter of this book is four pages long. And basically half of that section, like we're talking about like two pages, is just Hecate's entrance. <laughs> it's just how pale she was, how the sweeping mists were about her feet. Yes. Oh my god, the way that Rick sets up her character here is delightful because Hecate, somebody who is depicted a lot throughout mythology and still modern day, because like we'll talk about, she's still worshipped, she is often depicted carrying these two torches. Does anyone know why, class? <laughs> she carries these torches because in one of her like earliest myths, like probably the most prominent one in ancient Greek mythology, she led Demeter to the underworld to try to rescue Persephone. So she used these two torches sometimes she's depicted also with having the keys to the underworld tied at her belt oftentimes she's also like holding a snake and then she has these two animals some might call them her familiars at her side they talk a little bit in the next chapter about them but you could also research them which they're very cool they have fun backstories gotta love gail yes <laughs> as always there's some you know conflicting information about who her parents were according to hesiod she was maybe a child of the titans Perseus and Asteria. That's what the books go with. That's what Rick says, yes. Euripides says that she was a child of Leto, or the child of Demeter and Zeus. That's, an, that's a common reading as well. She was the goddess of magic, witchcraft, the night, the moon, childbirth, ghosts, low-key dogs, <laughs> whole bunch of stuff. Sounds like us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's like a lot of overlap between her and Artemis slash Diana. And Hesiod also said that her companions were the Furies and her children were the Impausi. She is a witchy queen of darkness. She is involved in all the cool stuff that you want to be involved in. But also people sacrificed puppies to her. So like, that's sad and awkward. <laughs> I mean, everyone um, sacrificed everything to everyone, didn't they? Yes. Humans got sacrificed, so you know. Puppies or humans? Puppies versus humans. It's, it's a hard choice, actually. <laughs> we were saying before we started recording, like, kind of gives, like, Cruella Deville energy, just sacrificing dogs to her, which iconic. is iconic. And there's, this is also interesting. Hecate is often depicted in, like, triptych form. So, like, having three heads, three faces, representing three choices. Some say that she may have, like, evolved out of Cerberus, as in the three-headed guard dog, because he was the creature that guarded the gates and had three forms, and Hecate is associated with dogs and guarding crossroads and stuff, which is a very cool connection. <laughs> she was worshipped in the Hellenistic periods, in the Roman period. She guides people to the underworld, most famously Demeter, but also Sybil in Virgil's Aenid, she guides to the underworld. She's like referenced as like opening doors and like guiding the pathway for a lot of people, which makes sense why Rick would bring her into the book now when Hazel is praying for a path to get to the doors of death. Ooh, very exciting. <laughs> In this next section, we're going to read about Hecate talking to Hazel about choices. Rick takes care to note the difference between Janus and Hecate. So Janus, if you'll remember, is the two-headed choice god who says you can take this path or you can take this path. And he appears to us in the Battle of the Labyrinth. And Hecate says, no, 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 no. Two choices? I don't think so. That god Janus, he a dumb bitch. Um, it's actually at least, there's always at least three choices in any circumstance. And that's why she has like 
ooh, three forms. Yeah, I had I'd done a previous episode and you, you were talking about the difference between them. I did research for Annabeth's Choice, I think it was I was looking at for this one. Mm. I'm going to promote my stuff while we talk. It's fine. Um, <laughs> Please do. The, the quote that Erica was referring to there is uh, Janice and his doorways. He would have you believe that all choices are black and white, yes or no, in or out. She's taken digs mm-hmm. at the fact that Janice is like, everything's true. You've got yes or no, you've got black and go. When she's like, but you could mm-hmm. do this thing instead. Or this thing. Yeah. Or you could go back the way you came. Yeah. And that's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if this is important, but thinking about how Janice is like typically a male god and Hecate is a very feminine goddess, it's a very like feminine way of thinking about things to go around and to say that there's not just two options and there's not a beginning and an end. Um, things are more circular and they don't have the arc that you might think they would, as opposed to a masculine form of storytelling or thinking that has like an A and a B and you go from one place to the other. And yeah. People still pray to Hecate. She's kind of stuck around, like, culturally, at least in modern American culture, as a symbol of Wiccan witch stuff. Modern representations of Hecate. Let's just name it the chilling adventures of Sabrina. (laughs) She becomes very important later on in that show. No spoilers. Anyone else want to drop anything about Hecate before I let Owen absolutely just go off the rails here about (laughs) choices and the mist? No? Okay. Owen, please begin. Okay, so you guys asked me. (laughs) (laughs) Not the knuckle cracking. (laughs) I I do it all the time while I'm recording mine. It's like a transition. It's like, let's go. I'm ready to fight this thing. Yeah, so you guys asked me. This is what you wrote. It's a... how the mist works and what you think of this. Well, how the mist works. You literally asked me how the mist works. It is, it's complicated, okay? I'm still working it out. Um, But <laughs> let's start with the basics. So the mist is like the catch-all name for what the Greco-Romans get their power from. That is their basis for their magic system. Mm. You can split it up into different parts, different aspects. You've got the bit that Hazel's going to look at later. And then you've mm. got the other bit which is like the circular pattern that rick keeps on drawing between the gods and mortals and belief and all that jazz it does link to the other mythologies that rick writes about and their magic systems it's explicitly given us to how the mist connects to the daunt in the cane chronicles in demigod Mm. and magicians which you guys should read (laughs) just for what percy says about sadie that's that's all I'm going to say there. Is that that line about how she looks like Annabeth or something? No, it looks, it's, it's the line of, if we had kids, they'll look like her. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. No, I've seen it floating around the internet. Yeah. <laughs> the mist as itself is a soft magic system. And again, I'm getting this, this terminology from a YouTuber, but it's fine. Not all the parameters are defined. So I think Harry Potter's magic system is closer to hard magic, where you, you know the mm. rules. So they're there, they're quite rigid. This is mm-hmm. it's very floaty. You know, it does stuff. There is consequences for this stuff. You know that. But exactly what that stuff is and how it manipulates everything is a bit meh. And I have decided recently, I haven't said this in episode yet, so it's own exclusive, that, <laughs> that the mist and the dawn, that is what we know is dark matter. So the 85% of the universe of matter that we know exists because we like there's stuff missing, but we don't know what it is. I've decided that it's built into the fabric of the universe and it's now dark matter. Wait, I love that. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, you have parts of the mist which like link to the underlying theme in the Roidenverse. Where magic 
it's highly affected by mortals perceptions of people and things and ideas and a great example of that is if you look at Nero the Roman emperor just did an episode on it <laughs> go check it out and the basic rundown is he was loved by the Roman people he was quite a good emperor really the senate hated him but over time his memory got kind of twisted and shaped mm. and he became synonymous with the devil so like there's different aspects and Christianity kind of molded him into the beast. Mm. So it's like that weird thing of where Rick's actual version of Nero, you can go, oh, that makes sense if you follow this line mm. about what people feel and think about it all. It's mad. It's mm. madness. And Hazel has to work it all out. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's like the mist is not only like the soft magic system, but it also really it represents this idea of how mortal perceptions shape history and how things actually are and look. Yeah. Which makes sense because the premise of the series is that the gods only exist if people believe in them and they're only powerful if we continue to represent them and think about them. Their representations change based on how we perceive them so like that's the whole greek roman thing it's like yeah cemented in that yeah how the versions of them are different depending on how the greeks versus the romans perceive them and then dionysus is like a dad with a beer belly because that's how we perceive <laughs> him now <laughs> i guess according to rick so that that makes total sense i totally follow you on that who have we seen that can manipulate the mist i guess is the next question obviously you got some no ones you got chiron 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 and Thalia. I'm a Thalia person. <laughs> We're a Talia podcast. <laughs> but apparently Talia learned from Chiron, right? That's, yes. She mentions that in Titan's yeah. Curse. She's like, oh, Percy, aren't you sad? Chiron didn't teach you this, you little baby. Maybe you weren't ready. Maybe I'm more powerful than you. I believe that's the direct quote. Yep. <laughs> also, did I make this up or can't like Kelly, the vampire, and Pausa also manipulate the mist? Yeah. 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 I, it, a lot of the monsters, if they're old enough, can manipulate the mist to learn power and uh, birth power it's weird before we talk about the mist and hazel that was all this wonderful information from owen about like the mist in the riordan verse and i was really curious about the mist as a concept in actual antiquity because i didn't have any concept of the mist before reading these books like as a 10 year old so i did a little google research best research Google Scholar research, but now that I don't have access to university libraries anymore. Um, <laughs> and quote unquote, the mist is present in Greek mythology. It's not like as important as it is in Riordan verse Greek mythology, but it's very much there. And it's often personified as, I really do not know how to pronounce this, Oculus? I think it's Oculus. It's not the name of a god. Yes. yes, it is. So Oculus is the death mist god, representative of the eternal night, older than chaos itself, misery and sadness personified. And doesn't Oculus come into play in this yes, book? Yes, absolutely. That's like yes. the darkest, deepest part of the Tartarus journey. Yep, yep, yes. Yep, yep. So what is called the mist is often the god Oculus. Homer mentions, quote unquote, the mist. I think using Oculus as a word in some of his epics. Zeus is often seen using the mist to manipulate some demigod's perception. So like Zeus sheds mist over Patroclus's dead body in the Iliad to try to like get Achilles to get over it. Um, <laughs> also, there's references to Athena removing, quote unquote, the mist that shrouded certain mortals and demigods' eyes to allow them to really see 
and distinguish magic from not magic and perceive the world in a more clear way. Hundreds of years later, the mist is also mentioned in Virgil's Aenid and talks about the mist that veils and dulls mortal vision. Rick, he doesn't mention it this time, but like the first time we're introduced to the mist, I believe is in like the, the first book. Lightning Thief, when he talks about it, he grounds it in the Iliad. I guess he was worried that people would be like, this is <laughs> fake, I need a citation. And so his citation that Chiron gives, <laughs> he, he says that because Homer talks about it, it's legit. You are so right. I just Googled the quote. It's from page 154 of The Lightning Thief. Chiron smiled. Mist is a powerful thing, Percy. Mist? Yes. Read the Iliad. It's full of references to the stuff. Whenever divine or monstrous elements mix with the mortal world, they generate mist, which obscures the vision of humans. You will see things just as they are, being a half-blood, but humans will interpret things quite differently. Remarkable, really, the lengths to which humans will go to fit things into their version of reality. Should we read, like, a quote about Hecate talking to Hazel about the mist? Okay, all right. Starting from the bottom of page 25. I can obscure your progress somewhat, but the success of your journey will depend on you, Hazel Levesque. You must learn to use the mist. Me? Hazel's heart felt like it was tumbling down her ribcage. Use the mist how? Hecate extinguished her map of Italy. She flicked her hand at the black dog Hecuba. Mist collected around the Labrador until she was completely hidden in a cocoon of white. The fog cleared with an audible poof. Where the dog had stood was a disgruntled-looking black kitten with golden eyes. Meow, it complained. I am the goddess of the mist, Hecate explained. I am responsible for keeping the veil that separates the world of the gods from the world of mortals. My children learn to use the mist to their advantage, to create illusions or influence the minds of mortals. Other demigods can do this as well. And so must you, Hazel, if you are to help your friends. But Hazel looked at the cat. She knew it was actually Hecuba, the black Labrador, but she couldn't convince herself. The cat seemed so real. I can't do that. Your mother had the talent, Hecate said. You have even more. As a child of Pluto who has returned from the dead, you understand the veil between worlds better than most. You can control the mist. If you do not, well, your brother Nico has already warned you. The spirits have whispered to him, told him of your future. When you reach the house of Hades, you will meet a formidable enemy. She cannot be overcome by strength or sword. You alone can defeat her, and you will require magic. Yeah! <laughs> I buy it. I mean, <laughs> Hazel in the Mist. Hazel Let's in the Mist. About it. Now that we know a whole bunch of stuff about the Mist, what do we think about Hazel in the Mist? Hazel using the Mist. Hazel being the one to be chose to use. My the first mist. reaction was that it should have been Piper, and that it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about it. Talk about it. At this point in our reading, Piper is someone who I feel it has been suggested there should be more levels to her powers, which are about persuasion, which are about changing people's <laughs> perceptions of reality and the way that they engage with reality, I feel like it would have just been really in line for her and that we also are due for a Piper power-up in some way. That is also, not based on a random piece of weaponry. That is not that based on her, like, shooting hams out of a goat horn at somebody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no shade to anyone who enjoyed that. I am not a horn of plenty No shade gal. to Brayden. No shade to Brayden. We love you. But also, like, I do not understand this power. It does not vibe for me. But also because we were just doing an episode recording with Fran that was reminding us of Piper's time with Medea and how they were sort of pitched in The Lost Hero to be, I don't want to say mirror images, but people who had overlap in powers and people who it made sense to see fighting each other. We have already seen like a witch showdown so far in this quintet and it was involving piper that said like i don't know it's fine i'm not like upset about it it makes sense like why not hazel yeah i mean it adds <laughs> it adds a thousand things to the law though because she's getting 
the miss powers to manipulate it from her mum. Not from Pluto, mm-hmm. from her mum. That is true. Right, yeah. We do enjoy that. About that. And her mum didn't really participate in Greco Roman magic. The one like Greco Roman magic she did was the summoning of Pluto. Yeah. So it's like she's getting those powers from her mum. So are all magic systems connected? Which it seems like they are. <laughs> but because she's the daughter of Pluto and she's returned yeah. from the dead, the idea of what's weird and what's not is easier for her to work out. Yeah. On page 20, Hecate says to Hazel, We don't have time for long introductions. The point is, Hazel Lebesque, your mother may have not claimed to believe, but she had true magic. Eventually, she realized this. When she searched for a spell to summon the god Pluto, I helped her find it. I saw potential in your mother. I see even more potential in you. You are so right. The way that that brings so much into the lore, like the fact that, okay, mortals can have magic... That, yeah. I mean, that's totally fair. It's not like it doesn't fit. It's just that's a whole new they aspect. They can see through the mist. Why can't they do magic? Yeah, which makes me feel like Rachel Elizabeth Dare should have magic. Just, does she have a <laughs> reference to knowing how to manipulate the mist? She's like the opposite. She's like a mist annihilator. <laughs> mist buster? <laughs> hey, that's what I call my plants. I've decided. Um, yeah, she, she just sees through everything. She doesn't need to manipulate it because she cannot be manipulated by it. Yeah. She, Pretty cool. I feel like there are two ways I would have loved to see this Hazel in the Mist work out either that both piper and hazel got to like be mentored by hecate and like also have a little sisterhood witchy bonding little coven moment where they both got to ride on arian and go talk to hecate and she was like you two you guys you gals you both have it you have the special it you can control the mist are you ready to learn and they get to like train together that would be so fun or that piper got to have a little bit more of a relationship with medea in the way that hazel has this conversation with Hecate and that Piper could have learned more about potions and charm speak the way that Hazel gets to learn about the mist. We should also probably mention that there is some plot stuff that goes on here um, (laughs) beyond just Hazel getting magic. We did not mention this earlier but the reason why they're going so slowly through is that there are mountain spirits that are throwing giant boulders at the ship and preventing them from going north because of course the northern part of Italy is very mountainous and um, would be home to a lot of mountain spirits. So Hecate in the spirit of having this conversation about the three choices for if you count going backward she gives them advice about like all the different methods there are potentially for them to go after that conversation hazel says like okay we should not be going north we're gonna go is it east right <laughs> well no you you go north a lot then you go towards venice go past the venice yes and you're heading back venice. down south towards greece via a place that begins with b where the dwarves are yeah they decide to take that huge detour and go to venice yeah it's further north than they really need to go but it gets them through the path. At first, Hazel tries to defy Hecate, but then Hecate is like, oh, so you're going to risk Percy and Annabeth's life then? And Hazel's like, nope, nope, nope. We'll take your path through the mountains. I'll go with your plan. But I'm still going to save everyone. It's not going to be all of your plan. Yeah. She's such a leader. She's she's truly a hero. She believes that she can do everything, kind of in the way that Percy does. Like, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. I don't care what you say or what the odds are. It's going to happen because there's no other way out. Like Because I, be I need Percy it to happen Canada. more than anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She says, we're going to find a way to stop Gaia. We're going to rescue our friends from Tartarus. We're going to keep the crew and the ship together. And we're going to stop Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood from going to war. We're going to do it all. <laughs> Interesting, Hecate said. That would be magic worth seeing. Yes. Maybe also plot-wise, it's worth remembering that Leo's suspicious of Hecate. <laughs> this is a thread that... 
I like dispositionally, I feel like I forgot that we're supposed to be suspicious of Hecate in much the same way I, I mean, forgot that so we're supposed to, I guess, be suspicious of Nico as well. Like, <laughs> men really are out here just raising objections. I don't know. I guess Hecate has been shady in the past, but like... I think, I think there's a quote at some point where Hayes was like, I just don't trust any god at the moment, but I guess I'll trust you mm. because I've, it's my only option. Uh, a lot of them are in that spot at the moment. And certain gods may have deflected to Gaia's side. We don't know. And That's true. Hecate does, in, I guess, Leo's defense, I believe, defect to the titans. Um, in or I don't know if defect yeah. is the right word because she is a titan, but um, she, she sides with the titans, um, I guess. Is yeah, the she sides with the titans. Yeah, doesn't she say, like, sorry about that? <laughs> yeah. More or less. Yeah. Basically goes, well, I've made my piece, so you make your piece. Deal with it. Yeah. She's like they're yeah. they're cool with we, it, so you should the be big, cool with the it. The big too. guns, the big guns and I, we We worked it out. We've worked it out, so I'm not gonna work out with you because you're just a little demigod. Who cares? Is there anything more to say about that? Um, we're we're headed out to the mountain pass towards Venice. I don't know. It's cool. It's very cool. Let Hazel have as many it's powers cooler. as she wants, it's, frankly. It's we we need witchiness. We do Yeah, we crave. <laughs> we have had a lack of witchiness when we passed up the opportunity to turn cersei into a mentor for annabeth wait we need a little sound effect for when we call for fanfic on this podcast and we're like can somebody please ding 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 write a fanfic about cersei mentoring annabeth medea piper and hecate hazel and just they can all go on a girl's trip together a coven oh my god yes a coven oh instead of one paltro <laughs> on an island <laughs> Yeah, did you want to talk a little bit about these other instances of the mist that you've written out here, Owen? Yeah. So I'm going to throw myself under the bus. I've listened to all of your episodes. So <laughs> at, way back when you were looking at The Lost Hero, I did message you this on Instagram at mm -hmm. the time. So I'm going to mention it now since I'm here. That I was looking at the mist at the time and I read Hazel's mit mit mist 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 The mist -milation. <laughs> <laughs> Mistipulation. <laughs> I can't speak. They're kind of puns. <laughs> Mist manipulation. Yeah, that's the one. I've been looking at that and I went, oh, so what Hazel works out about the mist kind of falls back to what Aphrodite says to Piper about the mist mm -hmm. and her Jason memories and then their mm -hmm. whole love triangle thing. So I'm going to skip ahead a tiny bit, but there's no spoilers, don't worry when Hazel works out how the mist works, what he desires, what he expects, that was the key to using the mist. She couldn't force mm. someone to see the world her way. Mm. And then the Aphrodite Piper thing is, you see possibilities much more vividly than others. You see what could be. So they link in kind of a way where Hazel goes, oh, so the mist works best when it's what you want. That's like how charm speak works best when somebody is more likely to want to believe yeah. Piper and like to want to agree with her. And then so Aphrodite comes in and goes, yeah, so you're good at seeing what you want and this is what you want. And so it's like, is the mismanipulation is such a big thing that Hera Juno did to Leo and Piper. I presume she let them fill in most of the blanks. She went, you guys are friends with Jason, and it's kind of hinted at with Aphrodite. It's you guys are friends with Jason. Fill in the blanks for me. How are you friends? Thank you. Goodbye. So it's the false memories of that worldview. It's like what Piper believes should happen. Yes. This is Piper's idea of what mm -hmm. should happen. Is this leading us towards our compulsory heterosexuality reading of Piper? Perhaps? <laughs> Who knows? Um, Not necessarily. Yes. We don't got to box I, ourselves in there. This is what Piper thinks should happen. That doesn't mean... This is what yeah. should happen. <laughs> 
Um, and so she wants to make it come true. So when the false memories are implanted in her, it's the idea that she doesn't want to, she never gives up on that idea of Jason being her boyfriend, yep. even through The Lost Hero. Yeah. And now through these books, she's trying to keep it working, but it's kind of breaking down. It's not working fully. So the idea that she wants these relationships with people like Jason or similar, mm -hmm. but is it what she needs or who she is? Absolutely. Thank you for that, Owen. Yes, that there's something about her. Part of her wanted to be in this relationship with Jason and therefore the mist worked in such a way that she crafted these false memories with him. What that says about her, we can all project our own feelings onto it. <laughs> yeah. I like that Chime Speak and the Mist kind of go together in that way. A Chime Speak's a form of Mist in a way. and It's magic manipulation. <laughs> I was about to say, it's like Judo. It's like we're using your tendencies and this is a terrible way of phrasing this <laughs> metaphor, Cordo, can you say it? Like we're it's taking, taking our taking your opponent's, opponent's momentum and using it against them. Yes. Yeah. Both Chime Speak <laughs> and the Mist operate in that way. Anything else anyone wants to mention? About the mist, about Hazel, Hazel and Nico. Oh, there was one small thing that I feel obliged to point out because we're on the <laughs> countdown to um, extreme fictional violence towards Nico. <laughs> um, <laughs> we could go by sea, Hazel suggested. Sail around the southern tip of Italy. This is on page seven. That's a long way, Nico said. Plus, we don't have ellipses. His voice cracked. You know, ellipses. Our sea expert, Percy. That name hung in the air like an impending storm. Okay, that's all. That's voice all crack. I wanted to share with everyone. Voice crack. Um, the voice crack <laughs> noted in text. No, thank you for that, Carter. Let's continue to let's continue to find those moments of <laughs> canon homosexuality. I mean, it's the book. This is the only book where we know a hundred percent he was getting it together before publication. Like yeah. he needed to set this up. Yeah. All right. So this is kind of a throwback, but <laughs> we have two questions for you. The first <laughs> is. Do you feel that Persebeth is the greatest love story ever told? Uh, Honesty. Honesty? I have no idea. Yes, that's fair. That's totally fair. I'm bad at love stories in general. <laughs> I, you can tell because I've decided to do a law podcast. I don't really care about that too much. So I honestly don't know. Do I enjoy the story? Yes. Very valid. Awesome. Very valid. Um, and of course, the second question that sort of less applies to these books, the threat of what it means to protect Western civilization is not something that they are making as explicit, but I think it's still there. So we're still going to ask, do you think mm -hmm. it is worth it for them to be putting all this work in to save Western civilization? Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> um, kind of. It's literally my history. <laughs> I'm from Western Europe. This is, my, this is my history. Not that he's from Western Europe. Oh, no. We didn't foresee that part. <laughs> Being blindsided right now. <laughs> it's not a great history. We did some pretty bad stuff. We also did some pretty good stuff. And then we kept our empire for quite a long time, but we didn't call it an empire. It's a boo. Um... I've seen the crown. <laughs> Not I've seen the crown. Oh my god! Like most, most most Independence Days around the world are Independence Days from us. So yeah, it's true. So you know it's where I come from in a way, where my stories are. The Romans invaded us. They shared our stories with us. They merged their gods with us. Our icon is Britannia, who is a Roman god. Also, maybe Athena. Um, like a thousand different other gods. A lot of them are uh, just Athena. Yeah. You know, we did bad stuff. We did some good stuff. 
currently doing bad stuff. He can do better. <laughs> this is all true. <laughs> we love we love perspectives. We love voices on on the show. Thank you very much for for those answers. Bringing the Western European perspective <laughs> onto the seaweed brain. <laughs> well, thank you, Owen, for joining us today for this deep dive and for putting in all your prep work. We want to know what you think about the mist and magic, about our idea for a coven of the gals and their mentors within the Wired Inverse. You can find us on the socials at Seaweed Raid Podcast on Instagram, at Seaweed Raid Pod on Twitter, or shoot a message to Owen and tell him what you want him at to deep dive into. Mist on Instagram, Get in touch. I will love yes. it. Yes. <laughs> if you have questions about lore and magic and how things work, Owen will find the answer for you. I try. I try my hardest. <laughs> well, thank you both. Please get excited for Annabeth's POV in our next episode. Have a Woo! great night. Woo!